Welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana coming out of New York City with my man today, special Saturday afternoon, evening, <laughs> special morning, Sunday morning in some places of the world, broadcast of a True House Stories with the three techno, which I say techno wizard of, he used to rock three decks. Dude, let me tell you, flawlessly. I watched this guy rock three decks flawlessly. Even Vegas said the same thing. Louis Vegas said, we were like all of us back in the day going, three turntables and not skip a beat, not a needle, not a needle come off the turntable. I mean, it was absolutely craziness. And the energy he had, he could give you 20,000 hours of energy and nonstop until the point where he went, Oh my God, he's finished. <laughs> so we like to, <laughs> he's finished. But we like to welcome to the show, thankfully from Australia, I'm going to bring him up, Mr. Carl Cox. Even though we had technical difficulties, thank you for making the show. Thank Congratulations you, on the new single. I was told that you got the new single out, Sand, Moon, and Stars. It's a big thing. We're going to get into that in a moment. I want to make sure I say that to you as well. Okay. Um, First of all, how are you doing? To, let, before I even ask the first question, how are you doing with everything going on, lockdown stuff? Well, can you imagine well, if I was in America at this particular time, that I was doing in America, and um, I was in um, Houston, Texas, where I was playing, and it was halfway through my American tour. I was going to come in. I was going to come and visit you guys in New York. Um, I was going to be coming there as well. Um, it was crazy because as we were going along into our tour, the whole pandemic and, and, and the virus was becoming apparent, especially on, on American network TVs. So every time we went to a, a different hotel when I was going through my tour, you know, I would see you know, President Trump and, and everyone uh, at the time, um, he was you know, talking about it, it not being you know, such a big thing. It's just a... A flu, it'll go away. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. We, we've, we've had these things before, SARS. We've had bird flu, mad cow disease. <laughs> we've had so many of these things come through. Um, but this one, uh, the coronavirus, was seemed to be taking hold uh, quite quite heavily. And at that particular time, I was sitting in the hotel room, and then my tour manager, Ian Highmarsh, uh, and, uh, sorry, Ian Hussey, and my friend who was touring with me at the time, He's like, listen, man, this, is, this ain't looking good for our, 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 our next events because at that particular time, um, I was supposed to be playing the Ultra Music Festival in Miami. That's right. Right, Miami, and, right. And I was going, he is going to get towards that. You see, as a crescendo of me playing in America. Um, and that got clo uh, that got uh, cancelled. So I was going to play at Space. Um, as you know, So we don't do the big event. It was a nice club event. It's going to do a Space. going to do a rock by mobile disco party, which I ever do every uh, Sunday at the at music conference um, at the Edition Hotel downstairs. And um, it was like, that got cancelled. I'm thinking, wow. And then, you know, uh, uh, the former president, he got onto the TV. I never watched the TV. I never watched him. But he came on there and I'm like, what's he saying? Borders closed. No one can get into America. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like, what? In, out, out, in? Yeah. I'm like, God damn, right. Get, 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 get on the phone. So, uh, so to get a flight, you know, so, uh, we played that night in Houston, uh, at stereo, stereo live. Amazing night. I was only supposed to do like two hours. I did seven. 
I said, we're not leaving until we get kicked out, you know. Seven-hour set. I just kept going, kept going, kept going. And the thing is, when the people were there, they kind of saw me. You know, they had the two or three hours, and everyone's like having a good time. Woo, yeah, God, see, God, see, you know. And then um, uh, the, 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 the management and the promoters are like, listen, this could be your last event for like a while. I was like, you're right. So just kept going, hour four, hour five, hour six. You know, now we got like, I don't know, we, we had about 3,000 people in the club. Now we've got like a core, which I love always, a core of about maybe two or 300 people just in the dark floor. It felt like my own little party in my front room and just rocked the hell out of them, just went deep, deep right into my box of music and just gave it to them. And then we came out in the morning. Got in, uh, got our clothes. We had a wash and brush up in the shower. Got our clothes. Got on a flight directly to uh, Australia to Melbourne. And then they t- when we got on the plane, they said, "Listen, when you get back to Melbourne, we got to go and uh, self quarantine for two weeks." Uh, okay, good. Enough. Quarantine for two weeks. So that's where I've been in Melbourne, Australia. Like we haven't been able to to leave. So we got. So while all that all that was happening, you know, I got locked down. Um, but, you know, statewide here in Australia for five months. So we had that whole regime going up, going on here. And while it was going along, we had two spikes um, of, of uh, COVID uh, cases. And the second spike was worse than the first one. So we had to seriously keep locked down until the cases came down. And then when the cases came down, and then we were able to start opening up things here in Australia. But meanwhile, I've been in the kitchen cooking food, uh, banana bread. I've been making... Uh, soups. I'll be be doing uh, uh, pasta dishes and, and all sorts of comfort food, all sorts of stuff. Putting them online, you know, getting people really uh, interested in, in in whatever aspect of what I know I can do. And also, I've got this vegetable patch garden in my in my garden here in my house. And and I've never grown anything in my life. And normally, I, I put some seeds in, and they always. <laughs> Die. So, because I'm here, when I was born. Well, that's the difference. You can watch everything, you can water it because normally you're not around. Uh huh. Yep. Potatoes, I was doing chilies, broad beans, tomatoes. And I'm just like, my God, I'm I'm, I'm growing all this stuff. So, I'll put that online, showing people my broad beans. You know, I could put the next record out, right, on Facebook. And then people go, yeah, that's cool. You know, it's about, I mean, maybe 100 likes and, you know, people might, you know, share it like three times. I put uh, like a plummet of like broad beans from my garden. It's like half a million people are like, yes. You know, it's like 25,000 shares, comments like out the window. I'm like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> just, just me growing something. Um, I think, I think more than anything well, that's else. That's social media. That's the, that's the difference of social media because we think they want our music and talk about our music and they just want us to tell us, what we do for real time of our life. And this is the moments where that's why this show, this is why I made this show. <laughs> this is the reason because you won't have no way to explain that to anybody. No. Unless you say on True House Stories. I love this. This is obviously going perfect. This is exactly why we did this show. Leaving Louis Vega said the same thing about his family. He says, I never speak about it, but this moment of darkness brought my, me and my family closer. We've yeah. been forced to deal with things now. So I get yeah. it. I get yeah. it. And, that, and, that's the, and that's the great thing about um, uh, kind of like finding more out about yourself. What, what, I mean, we are in pandemic times. So what do you do about that? So, you know, us being in these in pandemic times is, you know, keeping connected. 
big, big time. I mean, my, I haven't been able to see my family, my uh, uh, my family back in the UK since this very day from last year. Within me being here, unfortunately, my father had passed away in, oh, in January sorry. of last year through through dementia. wasn't through COVID, um, but I knew he was he was uh, he was dying and he was on his way. But the thing was about it was I I couldn't leave here to go and see him and uh, and and to to make the service and everything. So I actually actually watch it here in my front room on YouTube um, as a mm. as a live stream. Watching my father have you know pu- you know be be put into the uh, cremation and everything. I was just like, how is this possible that I'm I'm not able to even leave yeah, the front room? Fly everywhere. Think about it. We've yeah. flown everywhere in the world. You've been from every piece of this. I mean, I don't even know where. Let's say, have you done Antarctica? <laughs> that's enough. probably the only spot you didn't touch right so think about it right that's probably so you're used to being able to jump on a flight be wherever you have to be within a day if it's if it's america wherever asia in seven hours uk in another day as well whatever it takes and here you are the first time where they said to you you're not in control of anything and you can't do anything because now like in the movie bronx tale where the guy closes the door and says now you can't leave and that's yeah. Really yeah, I mean, as scary as it was, I must see, I, and it's horrible. I my heart goes out to you for that. That's yeah, that's yeah. It was t- it was t- it was a very tough time for me, um, you know. And and I don't actually have a significant other at the moment here with me also. Um, um, and the thing is about you know, I'm I'm so used to having people around me or going to visit people around me. I don't mind my own time being on my own. I've got no problem with that also. But this has really been a, a self-discovery about oneself, your inner strength to help and support others as well in, in, within these times. So my reaction to all of this, in the end of the day, was cabin fever. Um, the final sessions. And the thing is about me being here in my house, all my vinyl was here, over, over 150,000 pieces of them. I know, dude. You you rocked us with that, bro. You've been doing it well. Good on and, you. And that, and that was my thing. I was like, what can I do to help others, you know, through music? And, yes, I could have, you know, just put my CD players up, got my laptop out, and got into the history of my music, or just played all the latest sounds. And, and I said, no. What got me here? was this seven-inch record, this track by Brooker T and the MGs, Green Onions. I'm playing it. And people are like, doesn't he play techno? Doesn't he play house music? What is this music? Well, that's what I always knew about you. I knew you were a soul boy. I knew that. I knew people that know us know the deal with some of us that know where our roots are. And I was always saying that, how, and that would be one of my questions down later on as we speak, how you made it to, from being a soul boy to the techno world. But we'll let you tell that in a moment, but good on you. And I was always wondering what drove you to start playing the vinyl. And now you clarified that. That's just, that's. Well, well even, even more so, Lenny, it was, was in the last, um, I would say, uh, last 20 years, you know, I stopped playing vinyl and I didn't stop playing vinyl because I didn't like playing vinyl. I stopped playing vinyl was because I couldn't get the music I would like to play from an upfront front point of view anymore because nobody was making any more vinyl from that point of view anymore. Everyone was going into the digital nation. They were downloading, they were, you know, putting it, 
just files. It was you were getting the music faster than you can shake a stick at. You was you were putting them on the CDs and you could play that CD directly, where instead of going through the process of vinyl. So that was my only reason. Because I don't forget, I had my own record labels. Uh, one of them being Intact Records, and I was putting out you know a record every nearly every two weeks, nearly every month. Um, but nobody was buying vinyl anymore. It's vinyl sales are going down and down, but the expenditure was the same. So that didn't make any, any sense from a business point of view. So from my, even from my own point of view, my own self, is a reason why Intech went into Intech Digital just to still keep the output of the music because that's the way life was going for all of us at the end of the day. So, so, so for 20 years, so when I started playing at, uh, at Space in Ibiza in 2001, I was play, basically playing uh, vinyl up until about 2004, and that's it. So anyone that went to space after that have never seen me play on vinyl. It's this <laughs> that's and that's a group. magical thing with you, bro. I've seen you rock three twelve hundreds like nobody's business, dude. Exactly. exactly. So you want to? <laughs> so I'm laughing because even I, I, Louis's interview, we did the same thing. Louis talked about it. first time he went to England, and he meets up with you, and he talks about you working three turntables. And I said the same thing. That's why I drove to get you on this show because we come from the same time as you do and how important that heritage is and i wanted you to explain that to people because you have a young audience that follows you never seen you if they did it must be they've been watching your tv shows but they've never seen you lift needles and drop needles and you know and spin the record back and slip cue and boom on a fly but we'll get to that so i have to ask you the first question because then because you're talking about your roots and this is perfect timing. And I ask it the same way. And I say, Carl, how does music find the young Carl, the kid? Or how did you find the music? Which way did it work? Did it find you? You found it. Okay. So my father, um, always loved music. He's always played music in the house. I couldn't get away from it. You know, unfortunately now, God rest his soul and my mother, God rest her soul. Um, they just love music. They love sharing music. They love, they love the idea of bringing people together with music. They're from the Caribbean islands, uh, of Barbados. And on that Island, they have a thing called crop over crop over was all about, uh, farming the uh, sugar cane, um, and then bailing it up and everything, and selling it off to to the European countries that that bought it in in droves. Tate and Lyle, any sugar company, blah blah blah. And we all know about sugar; it's bad and, and good Ooh, and I bad. I love it though. I love it though. But it's all pain, whatever. But it came from Barbados, and if, let me get you, Barbados. The island is just this big, tiny, and but they but they was uh, you know celebrate the fact that the island's got some money coming in, and then and then they all dress up and have a carnival, right? So it's called crop over. But because my family were in the UK, they never had that vibe anymore. So they used to bring like any West Indian families around at that particular time in the late 60s and the 70s, because I was born um, 1962. So you can all work it out uh, how old I am. But at the end of the day... 165 years old. <laughs> right, Lenny. You hit the nail on the head. How did you guess? Uh, uh, yeah. uh, they're always in the house, whether it would be Calypso music, whether it be soca, which is like the West Indian kind of jump up music that they have, um, whether it be reggae, whether it be soul, whether it be country and Western. I grew up with this style of music. My father used to go and buy all this music on seven inch. And he had a lot of collection of soca and soca and calypso music from the West Indies. So at my house was always pumping. 
So whether I was, I was wanting to be a football player or whether I was going to be a, a, a ski jumper or <laughs> race car driver, the music was always there in my ears. Ding, 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 ding. And I'm just like, I didn't want to fight it because it actually made me feel good hearing James Brown get up off of that thing, you know? Um, I'm just like, wow, you know, my my mum my and dad's family and friend are downstairs and they're like, get up off of that thing. And I'll be upstairs in my bedroom thinking, can you just, I want to get some sleep. <laughs> would you ever think a kid would say that in his mind? Like, you know, most of us were like parents would be like, shut it down. Meanwhile, you're saying, why are you crazy? It's crazy. <laughs> That's my household, you know, and and it always has been, and and that was always the vibe about who who we are and what makes myself and my two sisters, um, Andrea Cox and Pamela Cox. We, we always just loved music. I just took it a step further, uh, based on that one day when I was eight years old. I was I was down the banisters and uh from my from my bedroom. Mum and dad having a party on the weekend and my father looked up on the banister and he said, Son, he said, you can either go to bed or you come downstairs and put these records on and don't move until I tell you. So I went downstairs, smoke filled room, you know, with you know people all over the place dancing their ass off to these records. We had a turntable what, single turntable, which you put load the records up, seven inch records, um, and he, and and he used to have a phono and tape and an auxiliary. That's all you had, and and I took it a step further because my father used to have like a, a cassette player, so I used to record all the records on the cassette and write them down what they were, and then make it nonstop because the records used to you know land another record, land another record, land another record, used to run out, reload them. But while I was reloading them, I would switch the tape and play the music from the tape. I was mixing music when I was eight or nine years old, and that's how I did it. And then my father was like, right, son, we're going to go around to someone else's house and do the same. We're going to go around to someone else's house and do the same. And that's and that was my penance uh, for staying up uh, with, my, with my family, <laughs> with the music. And I just thought, this is fantastic. Uh, can I make any money from it? No. Can I make a career from it? No. Is this something that I'm going to pursue in my, in my lifetime? No. It was always no because it was a hobby. It was something that I enjoyed. It, I used to listen to the radio and listen to to like pirate radios or or radios that was uh, that forbidden to listen to at that time of night. But that's where you hear the music and, and Radio Luxembourg or Radio Jackie. All these kind of pirate radios. I would listen, you know the signal will go out and then can I hear the record? The OJ's something. They come back again and then the guy will go, yeah, that's the OJ's. I love music. I'd be like, yes, and write it down. And then I used to go to the record store with my dad and go, Dad, these tunes, these records, you know. I didn't have any money. He did. But I knew what I liked. So this is Here, Dad. Here, Dad. Here, Dad. <laughs> I, I, I owe a lot to my father uh, with this because um, he never thought I'd be, I would become anything in the end of the day based on my pursuit of being a DJ. But he could see that that there was some sort of affinity that I have with connecting with people, even from a very early age. And and I've never lost that. And that's why when it came to cabin fever, I just went right back to the roots of getting me where I am today, um, of, of how I love finding that record and playing it to, to you, whether it's one or a million or 500 or 20, it really doesn't matter. The fact that I'm giving that to you as a gift is my gift to you, always. You know, And whether I made them 2 million or whether I made... 20 pence or, or, or a pound. This, the, 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 the idea of me giving you a record is the, the very same that I've, that I've ever done. 
um, even to this very day with cabin fever. It's a gift, you know, and, and, and that's why I never set a precedence for cabin fever because it's my, that's my life history of music. It's right there for you to understand one of the reasons why I'm still here after nearly 40 years of playing music and I'm still this happy about it, even though my career has fallen off a cliff based on that, well, based on the pandemic. So um, I'm still as positive as I possibly can be. Well, you got, you got a great smile, brother. You still got that smile, <laughs> as I always see. No matter how much you, much all of us felt that feeling of now what? We're in the now what abyss moment. It's like, what do we do now? Okay. Any musical training besides being a record selector in the beginning? Did you take piano lessons or anything like that at the start of your career in your life in music? Very, very good question. And um, yes. Um, again, my mum, she she thought, okay, well, you know, you being a record selector is fantastic. You know, I hope you're having fun, son. Right. <laughs> I hope you're having a good time. Right. I hope you're having a good time because this ain't going to get you anywhere. But what will get you somewhere if we find out if you have any musical attributes. So I found out that I could play the piano and um, I had a piano teacher. But what was driving me mad was that I was playing, you know, reading music and playing like Swan Lake and the Blue Danube and stuff. And I'm just right. like... Classical training, yes. Classical training. But I said, yeah, man, but I'm black. I need some... I need some, I need some little Richie. You know what I mean? I need, some, I need some, like, Liberace in my life. I need some some anarchic piano playing. And like, you can't learn that. That has to come from within, you know, Ray, Ray Childs. You know, I need I need that Stevie Wonder, you know. And it wasn't, wasn't going to come like that. It, you needed the classical training. So after run, about two years of, of driving my mum mad, I just hated piano lessons. Um, I used I stopped playing the piano lessons, but I still had a piano at house. So what I used to do is play the music and then play alongside the records and just see if I could copy or um, emulate my own sound around the music to create my own inevitable sound once I got to start, when I, once I got to play. But I wasn't great at it. I'm still not great at it today, but that's but that has allowed me to create my bass lines, my rhythms, my you know, find my chords, sections, and all that sort of stuff. And the drums. I was playing the school drums at home. Uh, sorry, at, at the school. So all the rhythms that you hear all comes from the paradiddle. Left, right, left, left, right, left, right, right. And then and then you go around the kit like this, and then eventually you become this most amazing drummer of all time. Uh, but that never happened either. So, but that's where the rhythm comes from, and that's where my musical uh, uh, attributes come from by by those two things, which which is and then the computer. I just like yippee! It, that's, that's what's helped me to get to where where I have done with so many productions and albums and everything sure, else. Sure, of course. So even pre to that, you're coming up as a kid. Same with me. We didn't have MIDI yet. We didn't have the computer stuff yet. It was basically you had to play the physical parts, like you said. You didn't know how to play. You didn't have no song, you know, or you didn't, you need to have a bunch of people around. You knew what they were doing and you had to mime along, I guess. But I could see now for DJing for you, having the notation, understanding the time signature and all that stuff can help you with, with production, which will come not too long after. I'm going to guess because yeah. in school, you're in high school, you're playing the drums, you're doing all this. When does this, you know, transition from band leader classical pianist to now of a sudden <laughs> the band leader classical pianist to now to start playing officially as a uh, it, it, already, it already really happened at school when i was 14 15 and um i had like um like a, a 
a small little setup at home where I had my reel to reels. I had this small little reel to reels that I, that I, I, I obtained. And, um, so I can record all my music onto that from the radio. And then, um, I had my separate, uh, turntable and separate radio. And then I made a little sound system out of it, put a little EQ on there. I, I went to college for electrical engineering and also motor mechanics. So I've learned a lot about how to build amplifiers, EQs, um, and speaker boxes. So that's where my mobile disco came from in the end of the day. And I wanted to pursue that. But also, if I was going to do that, I, w- I wanted it to be the best. So I had a couple of friends of mine help me build boxes um, and, and amplifiers and EQs. And, and this is how I got so interested in it. I didn't really want to do anything else. The, the thing is, the money had to come from somewhere. So I was always in a building trade to, you know, physical labor, where I, where I was helping people who are uh, uh, into carpentry, called a chippies mate, where I was into uh, bricklaying. So I was, I was basically Mason. a bricklayer, masonry. Um, and and the, the latest thing out of all of that that I basically pursued was scaffolding. So anything that you see that's erected outside of buildings for, for temporary roofs or for painters or anything else, that was me. Up the side of the building, like Spider-Man, uh, with these holes and everything. Very dangerous. It's dangerous stuff, man. But I earned good money, and that money went straight back into my sound system. And all of this was when, when I was like 15, 16 years old. I left school and started pursuing that career. But I didn't have the, the turntables, and I didn't have the, the, the disco set up. So my mum at the time, she used to run a, um, a mail order uh, catalogue. Uh, service and it's called Freeman's and in there you can get bras and and, and all sorts of things and, and and you can get like Tupperware and all sorts of and there was a set section for electronic equipment and in there was this mobile disco setup so you get the lights you get the turntables and you get these speakers called File File Future Acoustic Limited rubbish nasty, horrible-sounding things. Um, uh, but it was just exactly like, what they were. They look good in the picture, right? <laughs> it was just like rubbish, I'm telling you. Uh, Properly rubbished, right? Yeah, Properly rubbish. <laughs> but but they, they, um, it was all once one thing, you know, two, two turntables, and little mixer and everything, stop and start turntables, and they were on um, spindles with the belt, belt driven. Yeah, so you started, yeah. You started with... Uh, <laughs> or if you did a spin back, the the, the, the ribbon would come off, the belt would come off like... <laughs> it would come off, you could get the, the table out, put the bloody belt back on, and then put the turntable back on, and then you could play your music again. Um, it was 200 watts. It was 100 watts a side. Uh, it had bass and, and, and treble, um, and it had left and right volume control. Um, and that, and that, and it cost 500, I think 25 pounds at the time. Jeez, that was a lot of money back then. For a 16 year or 15 yeah, year old. Right. To have. Yeah, that's a lot of money. My mom said, if I get you this, you have to pay for it. And, and that's how it went. So I got it. Can you imagine my glee when the, when the truck turned up with this big unit and these big boxes and I stuffed it all in one tiny little bedroom and, uh, and I turned it on and doo, there it was. And that was the start of my, my mobile disco days. I was the go-to person uh, to DJ at any party, school discos, wow. birthday parties, all this sort of stuff. Give me the picture of the timing. Who else is around you? Is it Norman Jay with his set yet? Was there anybody else going on or were you alone? 
in your own thing, doing it, basically grafting, as we would say. Were you grafting alone or were you going out to other people and seeing what they were doing? Was there any ideas going on or you were just basically, I found fire and I'm going to make this fire work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I was very much on my own with all of this. Yeah, but my discovery was was reading books, listening to uh, uh, tapes from from New York as well. You know, following what what, what Studio Fifty Fifty Four was up to. I was, I was too young to be anywhere close to anything that was going on. Everything was from afar. Um, my, my friends who used to go to New York were sending tapes back from WBLS. Um, uh, the mixes back in the day, and which which were just amazing because. You know, when he was hearing these wonderful remixes on, on just, you know, made from, um, I think multiple, uh, multi tracks on, on, on these, uh, real to reels and stuff. Uh, brilliant set, Petty Bone, you know, Jumping, uh, Jenny Bean Benitez, all, the, all of these guys that were, were, were on the radio show and they were basically making this music. So I was already in when it came to American music, sound of music. But okay. I was always, uh, I, I remember having this book actually, which I could show you. <laughs> all, all, about, all about Studio Fifty Four, and um, and it had, and you get the, the the logo outside of it, and, and you can see all the clothes and Grace Jones, you know, there and all sorts of people, and it was an awesome. But I always inspired to Studio Fifty Four, hoping that maybe one day I'll get to go, and then of course it closed down, and then that was the end of it. Um, but you know, for me, I was I was living in the UK. I'm in there. I'm, I'm living in the suburbs of the UK, a place called uh, Carshorton in Surrey. Uh, some people that are on here may know that place um, where I grew up. And and this is where I, when I went to college, a place called Carl Shorten College, is where I started to learn about electrical engineering. And that's where I started to learn about re-manipulating my mobile disco setup, which, oh, was, okay. uh, which was fantastic. So when I went out, it sounded the, the best that anyone else had. So I basically, with the two speakers that I had, so I had a speaker box like this, well, this is a phone, of course. But in the speaker box used to be a, a, a speaker there and a speaker here. And these two speakers used to play full range. So there was no treble. It was all mid-range and no bass. So I had to make a, a, a crossover unit. So I could sort of cross over to these little tiny tweeters uh, called Pizos, tweeters, four of them at each side. Then another crossover for those speakers to use them as as a mid range. So rather than being like that for full range, they were like that for mid range. And I usually make these uh, uh, speaker boxes called scoop bins, which was really cheap to make out of uh, MDF plywood. Um, so you put a twelve inch ca- uh, cone in in the, in the front of the uh, box, and it had this scoop bin to create the base underneath it. And uh, and then that is what I used to go out with with that sound, and it blew everything away. It's sometimes in some houses I just needed one one box just to play, just to play because having two of them was just was rattling like the whole road, not just the house. But 